0: What is Drinks With Tony? Conversations with authors mostly, storytellers always, and isn't every conversation a story unto itself? Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy this week's episode.
1: Okay, we, we ready to go? Yeah. Uh, this is Rob Roberge and you are listening to Drinks With Tony. Cool.
0: And on the Drinks With Tony show, yeah! all right no no i want to know all right you're listening to drinks with tony i'm your host tony Duchesne. today on the show we have rob roberge he's the author of drive more than they can chew the short story collection working backwards from the most worst moment in my life the cost of living and his latest memoir now on paperback liar rob how you doing man i'm doing great how you doing I'm all right. Yeah, I'm going. You know, <laughs> I was telling you off mic. Now that we're talking about it, I'm going to hypnotist later today as a therapy for my uh, anxiety and stress. I
1: just had a huge anxiety attack, like on the way here. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. Like,
0: so, wait, what, what does an anxiety attack entail for you? Like, you, was were you driving during I, I when was. it happens?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the, the, the first really bad one I had, you know, my, my chest started hurting terribly and my arms were stiff and I couldn't breathe and I thought I'm having a heart attack yeah. and I went to, I think it was the urgent care because it was closer yeah. and you know, you usually wait for like two hours and um, there's a note on the desk that I'd never noticed is that if you're experiencing chest pains, let us know. And I said, I'm having chest pains and like bam, you're like a rocket into yeah. the, into the back and uh then eventually they told me i was having an anxiety attack and they asked for any other like mental illness and conditions and they're like yeah of course you have anxiety attacks and i said well you know i've been like sort of like had things like this but not with like chest pain and they're like no you know they can increase they can decrease so I was like, "Oh, well, I'm I'm not dying, you know." But every once in a while, I like totally freak out for apparently no reason. <laughs> yeah. you
0: no, know, because I've had panic attacks for decades, but um, they've subsided a lot. But I'll still get one out of the blue where it's just like, "Boom, whoa!" When when did you have your first one? Um, it's I, almost like sex. When did you? When was it the first time for you?
1: I think uh, anxiety came before sex, <laughs> and and during and after after that first time. It was it was an anxiety riddled adolescent or whatever senior year of high school, um, and I only applied to one college and didn't know if I'd get in, so I'd be like you know filling tires and checking gas at a Chevron I worked at. Yeah, yeah. Man, yeah, it was an anxiety an anxiety drenched year. But the attacks started around eighteen, nineteen, and oh, okay. yeah. and then increased, but never got to the point of like a massive chest pain until I was in my thirties. Right.
0: And then, so what was uh, what was your anxiety attack today? Were you like on the freeway and having in the attack? And then what do you do when you're in the middle of that situation?
1: Um, well, I, I I took some medicine that that you know I'm supposed to take when I'm having one. Yeah. and uh, you know, at this point, I, I I know I can ride them out because right. they're they're relatively brief. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, anything that lasts over thirty minutes is really weird. Yeah. So you know, I'm kind of used to them. I just, it was not a pleasant drive, but I wasn't crashing into people. <laughs> you know, just playing bumper cars and ignoring it, getting here.
0: <laughs> Got to get there, arm time. Sorry, old lady. <laughs> yeah, I it's, know, it, it's funny because, like, it, they, you know, at their peaks, if they last five minutes, it feels like five years to me. Yeah. And I'm like, I am dying. Here it is. Here's my last breath or whatever, you know or I'm gonna go crazy and run out into traffic and its I feel like I don't have any control. And then, um, I'm getting you anxious even talking about this.
1: <laughs> I already was. Um, it's subsided some, but probably a, a new wave of rational anxieties coming on, rather, rather than one that just came from the unconscious for no reason.
0: Was it the anxiety of, why did I agree to Tony <laughs> to do this with Tony?
1: Absolutely not. And I left early enough that it wasn't because I feared I was late. You know, um, yeah, that one just came out of you know probably an accumulation of shit that's been going on in my head that I oh, yeah, haven't yeah. worked through, which is you know pretty much a the resting state of my mind is you know <laughs> things I haven't worked through right. <laughs> and you know self judgment and loathing.
0: Yeah, which I which I find is. Which I find is common among authors and writers, which is great, because I then I feel like I'm in the right tribe. <laughs> yeah, I, I... The good ones, the good ones.
1: I, yeah, I don't know, I mean, it, it probably is, you know, I mean, um, you know, there. I mean, I, I hesitate to say things happen to writers that don't, I mean, you know, I'm sure there are plumbers with terrible anxiety attacks, um... I don't know the percentages, but I mean, maybe it's just because I travel in circles with writers more often than any other group, but yeah, it seems like a pretty high count among, you know, say people we know, <laughs> even, you know, not not to name name the names in the circle, but but yeah, it, it, it seems, you know, and I think a lot of it is, is bred from a constant insecurity mixed, although writers have like a constant insecurity mixed with an inflated self-worth, cause we think that like what we write is worth someone else's free time and twenty dollars, <laughs> you know. So there's got to be a confidence there somewhere, although it's undermined entirely during the entire process of writing. <laughs> so it's it's like waves with an undertow. I think
0: it's it's like uh, I have to get myself in a delusional state where I'm like this is going to get the man booker, this is it, this is everything. It's not during the process. It's like those little moments that like get me through or I'm just like, this is the one, this is the one. Yeah, I mean, I
1: don't quite have that because I've given up on any awards in my career. Um, you know, like the first delusion I gave up, probably around 30 was the voice of my generation. And, and the second delusion was probably you know author on a trade major who has a steady audience and uh and they've slowly adjusted and they're well below the booker prize i think now um you know so i'm I'm trying to you know always have hope and no expectation because expectation has always fucked me up in my career yeah yeah. you know where we're like a press you know has tremendous op- optimism like uh and you know Nothing much happens, you know, and and their optimism got me incredibly excited. I mean, nothing much, I don't mean nothing much, I mean, there are readers and I value them tremendously, but, you know, any writer wants a greater number of readers than they currently have, Um, until they start going down in their audience and then they wish they were where they were. (laughs) I think that's the progression, career-wise.
0: It's... Yeah, I got this thing where it's either too, uh, it's either too much I don't want to know or it's too little I don't want to know. I think it's it's there's just that there's no good number for me. Are you I'll, checking the numbers? If I if I did, yeah, I I would be utterly stressed out and going holy crap, or I would be like, of course they don't like it. That's why it's down here.
1: Yeah, I I ask my uh, agent to never tell me. Yeah, you know because he has access to book scan or whatever it is. And uh, I don't and I prefer it that way, you know, and I guess you sort of find out with the next book when it goes out because they check your numbers and, you know, then I find out from my agent that my numbers are affecting me, you know, I I mean, you know, but it's weird. I mean, I only had one other book on a trade to liar and then liar like outsold my other books, you know, by tons, but apparently not enough for um Crown Random House uh to put it out in paperback. So it's like I, I remember a story um it might be from the Springsteen uh memoir but uh you know he was on Columbia and they had tremendous expectations like the new Dylan free greetings from Raspberry Park like so 73 and uh his manager comes to me and he said, "You know, it's just it's not good news. It's not getting out of the gate. You sold 20,000 copies." And Sprinting was like, what, 22 or something. And he said, 20,000 people who don't know me bought my music? That's incredible. Yeah. So, you know, I think if you'd told me like, you know, 20, 30, 20 years ago that I'd have the career I have now, I would have been, no way. I'll never get that. So, you know, it's, it's always, you know, out there that you could have more. And I, I try to remember that that's an unhealthy position when when you're in a position that you would have desperately wanted to be in in the past
0: um, speaking of liar that memoir is so amazing and you wrote it all in second person which just blows my mind i use it for my classes even my novel classes i'm like you want to know what you want to know what good second person writing is and i just i, sh- I show him liar because it's just fantastic
1: really oh yeah wow thanks um Yeah, the second person just... uh, I mean, I I had tried to start a memoir in first, and I think I got to page 37, and I was like, I I don't give a fuck about me. You know, who wants to read about me for 200-some-odd pages? Like, I don't. (laughs) And it was weird because I didn't give it... You know, often I'll think a lot about craft and theory before a project, and then not at all while I'm writing it, and go back to it when I'm editing it. Um, But this one I had no rhyme or reason when I first started, you know, like the first little fragment that was in second person, like, you know, it's 1975 and you do this. Um, And then as it went along, I realized that it was giving me a feel like it's a distancing device um, in in a literary way, although it's an intimate device because it makes the reader sort of complicit in the action um but i was able to access more difficult memories by writing it in second person like when i was in first there was this shame and hesitation of what i would access and i think second person made it easier because it wa- i didn't see so many eyes on the page and you know like you had a certain narrative distance even though it, it allowed me to more to be more intimate in what i was revealing so, and I don't think I was aware of that till like halfway through.
0: Yeah, and it's just it worked great. And that, and now that you say that, I'm like, wow. You know what? I might start referring to myself in second person when I have <laughs> therapy. <laughs>
1: yes, I might too. You have a lot of problems.
0: <laughs> you know, when you have that anxiety attack, it's just. It's not becoming of you. <laughs>
1: no. I'm, I'm no, in, in a way, I was glad I was in the car. No,
0: no, I'm talking about me.
1: <laughs> oh. Well, I'm
0: still on that second-person stuff.
1: Oh, I got you. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. But I was... I was
1: I'm sure it's becoming of you. It's, it's plenty becoming of you. You know, people love us for our, our small cracks in our greatness, our, our flaws.
0: You wear your anxiety attacks so well. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. You know, it's a grace under pressure, like Hemingway said. It, it's not the pressure that defines you, it's the reaction.
0: So so that whole rolling back of your eyes thing, how do you do that so well? <laughs>
1: you just, I guess you just tell them that you're a, a medium in a trance or right, some right. such thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't believe in it, but that's what I am.
0: Hey, I'm, getting, I'm getting in touch with God right now. Can you not <laughs> interrupt me?
1: Yeah, you know. Sure. I'd break it out in a public forum, even though I have no belief system that would allow for that.
0: <laughs> do you know, because <clears throat> I got over a lot of uh, my head, my really bad panic attacks maybe about seven years ago through a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy. But what I used to do when I lived in San Francisco and I would have them, and, you know, it's such a denser city and such a walking city, I would just tell the person next to me if I was at a bus stop, I'd be like, I'm having a panic attack. And half the time they would just, like, walk away from me, but the other half of the time the person would be like, Oh, really? Okay. You're okay. All right. Because they knew. And I just, it felt, f- I just had this thing where I was just like, you know what? I got to get in touch with other people about it. And then find out that, you know what? Probably about 40 to 50% of the time, people are going to totally understand because they've had something similar.
1: Really? That yeah. many? Although it, um, it's an anecdotal study, but it, it, it seems, uh, to speak well of, of humanity because like 50% helped I would have thought like 12%. <laughs> I, well,
0: I think at the same time, I'm also using my reasoning a little bit on who I'm telling. I'm not telling the guy that's got the big, you know, plastic bag and, you know, a little uh, bit of a crack uh, burn on his mouth. or. you know.
1: though, he, though he might understand right. entirely. <laughs> He's like, do you know what will help you with your panic attacks?
0: It's like, you know.
1: yeah, and you know, do my daily anxiety just to get enough money for crack? You know, I mean, that's the thing about drugs. They need money and, it, yeah. you know, like... Every day, you got to think. I need money. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that happens often enough in life without you destroying your life with with some drug. <laughs> right, right. Like I uh, know,
0: I know it's I know it was said in Train Spotting, but um, like it ju- it it just becomes a job to be a drug addict. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Bukowski has a poem. You know, not not in any, actually, in some sort of positive way. There's a, there's like a brag to it in that, in that poem. I forget which one it is. But he goes on about, it's a full-time job to be a drunk. You know, it's a lot harder than people think. (laughs) Um, You know, and and like other things, like, I mean, I I said to a friend, like, uh, when you're on opiates, you realize all you need are opiates in life, (laughs) which which is a terrible thing to have your brain telling you. You know, it just becomes a, a singular existence of, you know, mundane, redundant desire.
0: It's funny because uh, yeah, I told you uh, before we were on mic that I took like thirty days off of drinking, and the one of the, and the last because the last time I did it, I was at a Netflix party. It was some industry in the industry event, right, where they got the free booze all over the place, and. I kind of don't want to be there, but I didn't realize I didn't want to be there. I'm like, oh, great, free booze. So that was my like, thing to be there. And then I always grab two and I'd be like, can I get one for my wife as well? Because if you say wife, then they're like, oh, what a noble fella. I don't have a wife. I don't even have a date. <laughs> and then I turn around and I pour the one into the other glass. So then I got the double uh, wines and I'm walking around and getting more and more trash. And then I started to realize, wait a second, I think I'm drinking because I hate these events and and then that's kind of and then I'm like why don't I just stay with my disgust and my irritability instead of like numbing it and then that's what happened then I was like fuck it I'm not doing that anymore and I went to a few events where they were dishing out the booze and I went water water and I went and like big-time famous people were talking I'm like I'm bored I left so I was like I think I'm actually bored I'm leaving yeah
1: that makes sense you know Um
0: you know, he puts the mic to Rob. Uh, <laughs> Rob, what do you have to say about that? <laughs>
1: I was just remembering free drinking. Uh it's been it's been a while.
0: <laughs> yeah, the free drinking that's because, um, like in San Francisco when I would I would DJ so I would oh, be okay. spinning, I would get my rate, you know, maybe a hundred and fifty for the night or whatever, and I would always think in my head, I'm gonna drink over more than hundred and fifty dollars worth of booze to make sure that I really get paid right. But I never took into consideration that speaking of the time it takes after the hangover, I'm actually putting in about 14 hours of set time instead of three hours. True, but that, that attitude uh, has a na- One of my favorite
1: names out of Marxism. Okay. Um, that the what you were doing, like deciding that you weren't being paid enough, and then yeah. essentially taking something from work. In this case, their liquor. Right. But you know, if you work in an office, you like take this, this sing- yeah. slingerland uh, you know stapler. Right. It's called expropriation. Because you've decided that, you know, these powers that be are sucking your hours for not enough compensation. So you just feel compelled to take 10 reams of paper home over the course of a week so you can print, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, I think that's a perfectly valid way to undermine capitalism in your own small way.
0: Well, I, I used to do temp jobs and I miss temp jobs because I used to get my pens, I would get my clipboards, I would get all of my folders, I essentially stocked all my office supplies from all my temp jobs back in the day. I even, when I, when I, put, on, I put on this thing called the Film Junkie Film Festival way back in like 2000, 2001, and I was doing temp work and I, they had a really high-end printing um, uh, photocopier, and I printed all of our program guides through that. I almost put at the bottom of it "sponsored by Gen and Tech," but I didn't. <laughs> I was like, maybe that would be sticking it too far to them. <laughs> um, yeah, that's
1: a great idea. I, although my my temp jobs were hardly as, as lucrative in expropriation or any other way. Um, although one time, uh, and this this is weird because it, it made the temp agency uh, like keep asking me back, but I was doing credit checks at a mall outside of I don't know, maybe it was a JCPenney or something, and there's a little booth that said, you know, get your J.C. Penny credit card before, and there was a standard, there was a logarithm, and you know like, <laughs> almost no one met it, like people had credit debt, or they didn't make enough money, or whatever, so like the first half of the day, for like four hours, I'm just telling these working class people who probably worked their asses off, no, I can't you know I can't give you a card and after lunch I was like fuck J C Penney I don't work for J C Penney and I was just giving out cards left and right to people with like you know foreclosures or liens yeah and you know everyone got one and on the way out there these people are carrying giant boxes with you know whether it's their like you know I don't know microwave oven or you know they got a dolly with their refrigerator and they're all waving to me like hey credit guy thanks and you know I felt great and then i i did that for like three days and and the, the temp agency apparently got jc penny was thrilled with me um but they didn't know what i was doing they just knew that like i was i was you know giving them a lot of credit cards to yeah. to to get what to get with and uh with but of course with them not knowing at all that they would never recoup you know 90 percent of the money i had just given away um but then I think before it was ever tallied, and I don't know when J.C. Penny would have figured out. Um, wow, that kid just gave away a bunch of money. Um, the temp agency was like, "Oh, everyone loves you. You know, um, well, any any day you want, you can come." And um, and I had just been doing like just a year before, like six months on the labor pool, you uh-huh. know, and which is like five in the morning and you might not get a job and I was always hung over. I was probably up till three. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. um, but I, I had quit drinking and now I was like, you know, uh, Kelly Girl's number one go-to. Um, but it was a, such a terrible job. And then I think I, oh, I got a job at a candy factory, yeah. So uh, which was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And Well, and, and uh, you know, I, I thought I'd get on something kind of cool like Wax Fangs you know i don't know like fake you know little ca- even candy corn or those little sodas you drink out of wax bottles yeah and i got put on saltwater taffy with just insane cooker and uh and you you know just like you know they say you'll never eat at a restaurant you ever worked at like i will never eat saltwater taffy again i mean one one of the you know and i'll get off the topic quickly but but one of the one of the frightening reasons was, um, you know, it's this giant slab of flat taffy after it gets rolled out, and then it has to be put in these these uh, open geared machines where it gets thinner and thinner as it goes down, so they can you know get in, in small things and wrap it. Yeah. So it's like a V shaped set of gears that just take this big like roll and and make it you know progressively smaller and smaller to get clipped off at the other end of the machine, but because the taffy goes through the gears the lubricant had to be had to be edible you know like you couldn't put in like wd-40 to make the the gears spin and it was this stuff um spelled with k's called cake coat and uh it just smelled and looked like one of the most disgusting viscous liquids i've ever seen or smelled and uh and, of course, there was also, you know, fructose, glucose, um, oh, right. sugar, and, and corn syrup, molasses. There was, like, everything you could put in to rot a tooth. Right, right. <laughs> you know, like, I think, you know, like those Coca-Cola studies where you put a tooth in Coca-Cola and it's basically gone by the next morning. Oh, yeah. You know, I think if you, you put a tooth, like, inside saltwater taffy, you could chew it the next day without a crunch.
0: Yeah, I've uh, with Diet Coke. I've actually gotten the um, the particles off my uh, battery cables, the the gunk off. You know, the, the it's so good for getting really awful shit off of mechanical things. It's like the, you don't want to. Really
1: frightening. Yeah, it is.
0: I do try to have. I I do love Diet Coke. I used to drink it every day. I, I drink one a month now.
1: That's probably uh, you know if I could get down to one a month, I could probably quit. Yeah, yeah. But I want to quit because, you know, I, I read articles that they're just like a bucket of carcinogens, oh, it's, yeah, it's you know, and I don't want to drink sugar because I'm c- trying to cut sugar out of my diet pretty right. much because it's just a wasted calorie, you know. Yeah. Um,
0: and, and our body doesn't know what to do with the stuff that they're replacing the sugar with these big companies. It's just right. like, oh, what? OK, let's just let's split your DNA here. We'll grow you a tail. You know, That's
1: true, I hadn't thought of that, like, there's probably so much, like, new dietary technology that, like, you know, our bodies are processing things that no human body has ever processed, like, prior to 1960 or so, when, like, Fanta and Tab showed up. (laughs) Right. I used to be a Tab addict, because, yeah, an ex-girlfriend just drank nothing but Tab, and I was like, and then even when we split up, I'm like, buying cases of Tab, and, uh, and then, and then, you know, when it went away, I'm like, I miss Tab.
0: Now, did Tab have a significance of the happiness you had with your girlfriend?
1: Uh, do, you, do you think there was
0: a sensory thing with
1: it? It must not have because, it, you know, it was one of those uh, young, and intense romances in college where, you know, I thought we'd be together forever, which was, you know, patently ridiculous. Um, uh, and... Uh, and at some point, she left me for uh, for a woman, which you know is always like you wonder if that's like a compliment, like like you're you're you know closer to you know you know this like like straddling the fence of attraction with many women, or if you're like their last stop in heteroville because you, they've just it's just been a failure for them, and like you're the la- you're the caboose on the train, it's like you've driven someone away from an entire gender. <laughs> you know so um, but anyway my heart was totally broken so no when I drank the tab it was probably like oh my god she drank tab yeah, yeah. it's my last link to her right, right. <laughs> so it was probably not pleasurable tab consumption
0: succulent soda chemicals <laughs> love love
1: <laughs> my mother when I was a kid drank this stuff called NoCal, which I don't know if it was a local or not where, where was that uh, on the east coast um and then for a while there was no cal cherry which was was the one i would drink when she only had like no calorie soda in the house yeah. um got taken off the market because this stuff called red dye number no. five caused yeah. cancer yeah. you know and like the red m and m's went and yeah i loved red food and it was all gone like yeah. all red candy for i mean it seemed like 40 years but i'm sure it was like 18 months or something
0: Oh yeah, because we still have. Is red m and has gone? No, they're back. they're back.
1: they were they were taken out for I, I don't know the exact time, but for long enough that it caused me trauma as a young person.
0: Right, right. <laughs> That's why you have anxiety attacks. It's
1: it may start with with uh, no cal, uh, red number die red number five. I see a lawsuit. Yeah, uh, if I if I could only find the living people uh, who might have been involved,
0: I gotta go back to how. You had the power to give credit at because um, now, like to give a credit, to, to give a credit card to anybody, it's yeah. You have to have good credit. or You don't have good credit. You had the power to go. You know what? Your credit's bad, but go ahead. I think that's just amazing.
1: I felt great. Yeah. It was you know I only did it for two days, but it's uh, you know what I did at the, the final four of the first day and then eight. It's uh, twelve of the greatest hours of employment I've ever had. Because, you know, they were paying me to, like, basically just trying to be a nice guy um, that totally undermined the, you know, the goal of my job. But I, you know, I don't... Until, you know, I, I, I had a good work ethic, so not at that job. But right. when I was a painter, I was an industrial painter and a house painter, and that's how I paid for grad school and stuff. Um And I was good at that, I took pride in it, but I didn't like it, you know, I didn't want to do it for, I mean like every job prior to writing and teaching writing, I thought jobs were just for a process of elimination of what I didn't want to do for the rest of my life. Like every, and I, and I, I, I charted it once, you know, I had like, I think it was like 33 jobs um, prior to my first teaching gig. Really? Yeah, and uh. And none of them were very, you know, pretty much I I always felt that I was trading hours of my life. I would never get back for money and I had no respect for money and and didn't care about it. But of course, my landlord did and the electric company did. So I was just one of the most resentful, especially when I was a a server, a waiter. I was such a bad waiter. I, I was surly. I didn't want to be there. Um... You know, I always wanted to work in the smoking section, which they had back then. I'm old enough for a smoking section because they drank more, and they were usually drunk. And you know, I was less surly because yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. when they're all liquored up, it was better tips. Bartending, I was probably a decent human being.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Was that because you were taking shots on the side, or were you still drink? Or did you stop drinking by the time you bartended?
1: Oh no, I was still drinking, and you weren't supposed to. But I'd let you know, customers buy me a drink and things like that. I, you know, um, I don't think I I swipe too many, but there's always someone at the bar who wants to buy you a drink. And, uh, you know, and then it's food service industry. So after you close up, you let a few regulars in there and you start doing rails of cocaine, you know, until like five in the morning. It's like, oh, this is the best part of the job. Except that I'm up at dawn and I think I'm gonna have a heart attack.
0: I've only, well, I I got pharmaceutical cocaine when I was in the hospital as a kid. Yeah, the, the dentist stuff. That's great. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, but I only did recreational cocaine twice, and both times I was like, I can't, why do I want to, why do I want to do this? It just keeps me awake. Well, I tried it when I was in my 40s, you know, for the first time. It just keeps me awake, and all I want to do is go to sleep and drink more and it just it drove me crazy and i had a girlfriend at the time and i didn't realize that cocaine can mess with your uh with your libido and i was like let's go home and uh." and then yeah no but in my head and then the but the equipment wasn't working i was like how is this not working how and she's just like oh yeah that happens i'm like i'm never doing this again Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm not a giant uh, Robin Williams fan, but I remember he had a routine. Um, oh, cocaine, the drug that makes you paranoid and impotent. Give me more. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I, of, co- of course, that that happened to me as well. And it it already wasn't, like, among my favorite drugs, but that yeah. really cut it off. Like, unless I couldn't get anything else, because yeah. it's just like, well, you know, fucking is more important to me than yeah. cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know... At that age and, and, you know, now, even though I I wouldn't know where you would buy cocaine, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> I have, like, no clue. Because <laughs> I even teach, like, you know, graduate students who are older and, like, you know, not that I would ask a student for a hookup, but, uh, yeah, I, I just don't think there's much of it around any circle I travel in.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think if I asked in any circle I traveled in, they'd be like... Uh, I think Tony's got a problem. <laughs> I, I, th- I, I think we we need to let Tony dry out for a while. Maybe come back to him in six months, see how he's doing.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, I would I would uh, I would have everyone on alert at that point, and yeah. uh, you know, even if I wanted it, f- which I I don't, but the fallout would be a disaster. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, it's just not worth anything at this point.
0: Yeah. And it costs too much, so forget about it. I hear it's cheaper.
1: You know, I, I don't know. I don't know if like we have any like youngsters on the podcast, but uh, um, as I understand it, heroin and cocaine are ridiculously cheaper than they were in the eighties and early nineties. Um, but of course, like a lot of heroin is cut with fentanyl now, and it will kill you in an oh, instant. Right, right. So. You got that risk for your cheaper (laughs) gram.
0: That's when, um, you know, our younger listeners in India should be happy because they're closer to the source of the heroin, right? So they don't get it as cut. Is that the case?
1: Uh, Maybe. Although maybe it's like Nebraska. Like, I used to drive through Nebraska, like, on a band tour or something, or driving cross-country. And, you know, it's like Cowville. You know, it's it's Milk Central, I would think. And uh, you go into a diner... And they only had non-dairy creamer. So I kind of think, like, India is a don't get high on your own supply, maybe. Like, like you, you sell milk, you don't drink milk. <laughs> it's like, you won't make as much money if you have a bunch of people sitting around, like, you know, chomping on their poppy and opium and... <laughs>
0: That's right, you're in the urinals, and you are and you still play, you play out.
1: Oh, that, yeah, I'm talking about back in the day, though, when, yes. you know, it's like everyone hates Starbucks, which I've, I've boycotted because of, uh, you know, what's-his-face who's, like, splitting the Democratic ticket, maybe, is it Schultz? Um, the guy from Starbucks who wanted to uh, oh, okay. run run as an independent, and it's like, oh, man, you know, our world's fucked up enough. Don't take away Democratic votes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, if they don't nominate a moderate, I'm running, and it's like, what are you? What are you doing? Are you fucking like, get a clue.
0: I I'm, well, I'm so scared that we're, we got Trump till 2024. I'm just so scared that's going to happen. He says changing the conversation to something very serious. <laughs> you know, sadly, it's a possibility.
1: Um, you know, I, I I hate hoping for you know people to suffer, but. I hope the tariffs cause an economic downturn. People vote with their pockets. And um, and uh, it just seems like, you know, the tariffs, you know, 600 companies have already written letters to the White House about it. It's essentially a tax, and they're going to raise the price on consumer goods. And, you know, it's an oversimplification, and it's a very much uh, a Hollywood or East Coast elite thing for me to say. But, you know, I, I would think of... of you know different politicians base that more of trump's base shops at walmart than perhaps any other candidate and that's going to hit those people in in the pocket i think the tax breaks are you know obviously less attractive than they saw because you know you're going to have walmart passing on a tax to them while they just had their tax cut by you know what six i mean 40 percent, you know and so it's not like they're not doing well
0: and it's crazy, like the you know the WalMarts and everything, where they're like, "Oh, and we'll help you apply for food stamps and others, you know, things," because they're just not paying enough to these people. I don't know if you've heard about that. No. This was, I, I, this was from. An, uh, this is from the files back from about five years ago in my brain, so I'm probably totally wrong about it, but I believe there was this thing with Walmart where they are paying so low that they were helping some of their employees go, oh, we'll help you with your uh, food stamp benefits and other things. It's or it's just li- card. Where yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, wait a second, doesn't that kind of give you a sign that, you know, we're in, we're in in a bad situation?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's terrible. I mean, you know, uh, Obviously, reproductive rights are, are being assaulted, oh, yeah. um, you know, healthcare is, is under attack and deep attack, and at least they've been able to do less with that, but they took away the mandate, which is the foundation of any, you know, insurance is the pool of money from people who need the service less, you know. And I, and I one time flipping through the channels, or maybe it was on a comedy show, but I saw this clip from Fox and Friends, where this one guy says, "Wait, so other people are paying into the insurance? You know, I'm paying into the insurance, so other people can get a serv, you know, service." And it's like, "Yeah," and, and he's like, "That's socialist." And it's like, "No, that's that's insurance. You know, it, it's car insurance, it's health insurance. It's like." Earthquake insurance, whatever, yeah. you know. And it's like, that's how insurance works. Yeah. You know, a bunch of people pay in so that they still make a profit when they pay out. Right. <laughs> you know, it's wow. like, and it's and it's like, oh, that's socialist. And it's like, yeah, you know, so is the post. It's not, but, yeah. you know, the post office kind of is. Yeah, yeah. The trucking industry is subsidized beyond belief, which is why the railroads don't compete on a, on a, um, a similar market with deliveries of goods. You know, I mean, there's no free market. There's a ton of government aided, you know, there's there's social welfare for corporations more than any group of individuals could ever receive.
0: Well, let's let's just pray. Let's just you know, I don't I don't wish death on anyone. But, you know, let's just say Trump has a massive uh, health condition where he can't, you know, function. And then then that kind of goes away. (laughs) <laughs> and then we go happily into 2020.
1: Well, we go happily, uh, you know, frighteningly into Pence at that point. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, that, that's bad, too. So, I mean, so, you know, in an ideal world, I'd, I'd like him to live long enough to, like, you know be humiliated on removal from office and be put in, cu- put in cuffs by New York State for, yes. you know, for one of the reasons that can't be pardoned. Right. Or, I mean, the federal courts, New, or the state courts in New York, New York State, the, the, the pardon doesn't reach in some way. So, you know, and they've got the whole family under uh, serious investigation for the abuse of the no, Trump Foundation, where they, they just used it as a cash cow when people were donating to a, an alleged charity. So
0: I might start a charity. <laughs> yeah,
1: because I, I really doubt, you know, Congress is going to open several investigations on Tony Duchesne. No, no offense, but, you know, you're, you're not really undermining democracy and destroying our status in the world.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm like, come ta- how dare you come take my studio apartment on renting in East Hollywood?
1: I'd be very happy with the Tony Duchesne uh, presidency. You know, I, I I would expect to get appointed to some uh, very oh. cushy job.
0: No, no, you, you're definitely in the cabinet, and the, and we would have no pants weeks. Uh, we uh, all week no pants.
1: Oh, we 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 should Skype then. Yeah. Or you know whatever. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what 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 gig I'd want in a, in a cabinet. You know, like probably like ambassador to Liechtenstein. You know, there's like 33 people in Liechtenstein. Just yeah. shake some hands. They love you. Yeah. You know
0: something, something where you can travel and like you know somewhere where you can stay in a place and kind of learn a language, almost like P- Pimsler, is that what it's called? Just like where you, you can get your language learning on and be just be in a village in uh, Portugal, and then uh, and then but come back every three months so you can get so you can talk to your book agent, and then you get your film deals on the side as well.
1: Well, I made a mistake then with Liechtenstein because I, I forgot that you have to be at the embassy there. So, so I, I kind of like the Dominican Republic or, you know, or I'd really dig Cuba. I don't know if we, we actually pulled our embassy because they got that, those series of weird illnesses that have never been explained. <laughs> um, but I might risk that. I really want to see Cuba.
0: Yeah. I haven't been to, I, I mean, well, not like I've been anywhere more about Europe and uh, the States, but Cuba just sounds, Cuba's always intrigued me, but I don't know. It's. Then it opens up, then we see a Starbucks there, and then I'm like, nah. It was like when I went to Prague in uh, 96, and there was two McDonald's in Prague, and I just walked by them and sneered. And then I'm sure now it's just on every corner.
1: Oh, it's got to be. And that's actually, you know, what I've been saying for years, is I want to get to Cuba before, you know, that we essentially take, our corporations take over um, the way essentially our mob took over under the Batista regime in the 50s um yeah because I, I had a friend who was there um, who said he saw a new hotel that was building alternative uh, like to to us code 110 wiring and this this hotel is planning on like essentially lifting the old like electric uh, like there's outlets next to each other at, at a new hotel so they're banking that you know that you know the, the Castro and whoever might uh, come up in, in the communist ranks underneath him, uh, won't succeed. That there'll be a uh you know, a regime overturn and that, you know, capitalism will reign supreme there and you know, I'd like to see it while it still has, you know, fifty-seven Bel Airs they've been rebuilding for <laughs> what, fifty eight years. Um, you know, things like that. You know, I'd like to see Cuba. I would really like to see Havana and uh um, uh well, Havana mostly, but uh, I'm drawing a blank on the other one, which is the city of peace, uh, where, where where Castro meant to attack, but he ended up like just west of it and ended up in the mountains.
0: Um, I do you remember the movie Buena Vista Social Club? I want to see Cuba from that point of view. That was like that was probably from like 1999. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, we could hang with Ray Cooter, but I hear he's a really cranky man was he in is he in that band he's, he's the one that, that uh who started sort of sort of started that like he gathered these musicians who hadn't had a recording and um and uh so he was sort of a curator of that record yeah. he had played with them on a on a trip and are you know you were allowed in as an artist in some right. capacity and uh but i think i think he was he brought that to the states and none such records had probably their biggest hit with it you yeah. know
0: oh yeah we're good oh, okay. <laughs> you
1: know I, i'm just trying to be conscientious of, of time breaks and things like
0: yeah, right not, <laughs> rob just pointed to my timer thing because <laughs> i told him about i told you about uh, the the thing about the thing and you're like well and then i was like no i'm not doing that thing <laughs> I decided after I told you, you know what, we're gonna do this new thing. I was like, I'm not doing that thing. And then you then you realized, oh wait, that, we were supposed to do that thing like 20 <laughs> minutes ago. Yeah, I love that. You, I love that you were uh, worried about it. I
1: yeah, but I was very late. I think because yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're at minute
0: 42. <laughs> um,
1: you know, and I, you just said like one of the things I absolutely like, totally fucking love about language was yeah. the thing about the thing, yeah, yeah. and that in context. You know because i was here prior to this right. i understood that perfectly yeah. and uh and you know in context none of the audience will right because uh, i don't think there is enough context for the thing about the thing exactly so it's ours we share this tony
0: and i i love sharing things with you rob it's it makes me so happy
1: it's the cornerstone of our relationship
0: did, did you start teaching at ucla extension or was it before that
1: Uh, I had a composition job when I lived in Buffalo at this terrible school called Damon College. Um, And I was, you know, I'd I'd gotten my MFA like maybe six months before and there was no teaching component to my studies. Excuse me. And uh, there's no way they should have hired me. I was thoroughly unqualified. And, you know, I was, I got pretty good by my second semester, but the first was just you know I didn't know what I was doing and you know I had a bunch of 18 year olds that you know I think they had come from high school and they were like so this is college we have bumbling professors who seem to know less than our our high school teachers Um, and but then around mid-year I started to get the hang of it although it was a religious school and I got written up one time for sitting on my desk while I was talking to students I got written up a second time uh, prior to my three strikes in your, your shit-canned um, for wearing red Converse All-Stars to the job. Because it, it's the only gig I've ever had where I had to wear a tie every day. And I don't even know how to tie a tie. I, I, I've later found out I, I only know how to tie a half Windsor, which is, you know, I think basically what an eight-year-old without a father does to their communion or whenever that age is. Um, not that mothers don't know how to tie double Windsor knots, but... Uh, you know, I mean that back in my generation that was every father except the the mob guys who drove bread trucks in my neighborhood or who allegedly, you know, had transmission shops and things like that.
0: See, unfortunately, I know how to tie a tie because I wore one 5 days a week when I was a Jehovah's Witness. Right. So I was banging on the doors, banging from the platform and I was in my suit and tie, so I completely understand. I think it's rad you wore a red Converse to a religious school. <laughs> and too bad you couldn't hand out free credit before the the the, thir- the third strike, where it's like free credit for the school, um, for the school um, what do you call it? The what what do they what what's the, what do they sell in the school store? The um, like the sweatshirts and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. this school was so lame. I don't think they had a T-shirt. Oh, yeah. I don't even know if they had a mascot. Yeah. You know the Damon College, some religion yeah. somethings. Yeah. You know Saint Fred. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, you'll ne- you'll never meet. Uh, I don't. I don't think a contemporary of ours who knows uh, less about any organized religion than, than, than I do. I mean, I, I, until like two years ago, I, you know, I asked Gina, like, so what's the difference between Catholics and Christians? And she's like, you're joking, right? I'm like, no, no, absolutely not. I, I I've been in a hotel room and I only read Leviticus, where you like stone the woman if she's raped outside the city walls and. You stone her if she's inside the city walls and doesn't scream loudly enough. And I was like, what the fuck is that? Like, people are, you know, people are following this, eh? And it's like, yeah. well, uh, they sure are in Alabama right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, it's like a, a frightening Leviticus, like, explosion going on in the in the South.
0: Yeah. I, I remember uh, as we would sit there through the boring-ass meetings, so many hours of meetings every week, but... Uh, in one of the Bible scriptures, which is great, I'm losing, I'm I'm losing the memory of my Bible scriptures. I used to be really on top of it about, you know, 15 years ago. But there was one where the Apostle Paul said, I've been stoned. It was like he was talking about, you know, like the things, the trials that he had gone through. We would be like, pff, pff, stoned. That's funny. <laughs>
1: like a great South Park moment or right, right, something. Right, right.
0: Yeah, that, that was like the only way we did it without hanging ourselves. Except a couple <laughs> friends did hang themselves. But, you know, they weren't laughing with us. So.
1: Oh, man. Sorry. Uh,
0: no, seriously. I mean, we <laughs> Tony brought it down again.
1: <laughs> no, no. I mean, you know. Sadly, it, like, you know, at least my life's peppered with such things, too, without, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, oh, and then, then I got my first creative writing teaching job at, at uh, UCLA Extension in ni- 96. Oh, wow. So I, I, I mentioned to my students this year that I, I've been teaching, uh, what is that, 23 years, um, which is, you know, it's frightening. I mean, it it just, uh, numbers like that just are, like, pounding the mortality nail deeper in my skull. Um, It's like, oh, yeah, that's going to become hard to forget. You know, I'm going to move to Miami Beach and start talking about my gout, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Check into, like, you know, assisted living when I'm, like, 53. Just It's going to end there. Why not just get used to it? I call it writer's retreat. There you go. Yeah. You know? Get some Jello, right for a few hours, and then play some cognitive board game.
0: (laughs) Exactly. exactly. Keep those synapses burning. And the you
1: really really shouldn't make fun of this at all. I mean, you know, uh, I I have friends who've like, you know, not functioning as as they did when they were young, and it's it's a terrible thing. So, um, you know, but at fifty three, perhaps time and distance, you know that allows for comedy <laughs> yeah
0: I, well and plus we have to laugh about it because it's so awful so there's just it's just like yeah we may be coming to that so if we don't laugh we cry so
1: yeah and you know it's like there aren't a whole lot of great options as, as you know you stare down the end in life um you know, I suppose, like, you know, last healthy day, you've settled all your business with, with people you love and things like that, and get run over by a bus. Might might be the the best way, because even your, your loved ones would be like, oh, he shouldn't have been hit by a bus, but, you know, I didn't kill myself, and I didn't, like, you know, like, I don't think I could make it through ALS. Although, you know... People are like viruses, like on one level, all they have is the will to survive, like yeah. and that may be all you're reduced to. I don't know. I had a friend who that was the case. I mean, they took his stomach, they, they took wow. his esophagus and it, you know, and here I am saying, well, I'd never let that happen. Who knows? Right. You know, I, I wasn't there yeah. and, and, you know, so I, I can't really make any sort of judgment call that about what I would do.
0: Well. I want to preempt what I'm going to say with I've never done autoerotic asphyxiation yet, But but I would like to you know if if I did go out the uh, caradine way, I think uh, if I can if I can achieve erection at 95 and they find me hanging, I think I'd be happy with that. I think that I I would almost want a photo to go with the a bit.
1: Oh well, I'm, I'm sure, you know, that would circulate in some way, shape, or form. Uh, I don't know what the social media of the day will be when right, right, right. If we're, when we're ninety five. Yeah. I guess I'll be ninety eight when right, when right. you uh, when you perform that. Uh,
0: yes. You know, I, so I'll get you to do the photo. <laughs>
1: so I have to at least make it. Like I can I can die one day after right, yeah, you yeah, yeah. you you asphyxiate yourself.
0: Exactly. <laughs> and then what I would hope is just with the photo, then people would do artist re- artist interpretations of it, and it would be, be paintings in museums and oh, stuff yeah. in the twenty three hundreds. You'd
1: be in the new wing of the Guggenheim and MoMA, yeah. I think. You know, and and probably one of the most copied, um, you know, uh, art frauds of, of the the twenty second century or whatever yeah. whatever it would be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess it would still be 21st, right? We're pretty early. Are we? We're we're not going to make like, you know, 130. Years. No, no, no yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're not like those old Russians who eat yogurt and last forever, which I think was a Hollywood scam, but was it? Well, there was an an, uh, an old advertisement for I think and yogurt okay. um, that had like the oldest living person in the world and, like some 111-year-old Russian woman um eating and yogurt, which of course wouldn't have been available in the former right. Soviet Union, but you know, that,
0: that was their sale. And isn't it nice because in the United States it's pasteurized so they fuck up all the probiotics whereas in Russia they probably don't pasteurize it and do all that weird shit to it so you, you get the local and you're like, oh yeah, probiotics, like this yeah. is yeah. actually working you know. It was, it
1: was, yeah. you're, you're not on you know, Dannon's chemical diet where yeah. I don't know how they suck out everything good, is it pasteurization is what does it? I think
0: so one of my a guy that I know he's in a band called Bar Feeders and he's a drummer so he was he weighed about 240 he was you know he was a big drummer he had to go to Paris for a year or two uh, for had film to. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah had to it was a, he was doing a film project he came back skinny I was like dude you look fabulous what did you do? he said nothing I ate and I drank the exact same way I do here it's just they fuck shit up here he's like I had all the cheese all the wine I wanted and I'm just like, all right, I guess I have to move to Paris, too, one day.
1: Jeez, I was just in Paris for nine days, and I think I put on 48 pounds. <laughs> um, How was that? Paris? Oh, it was great. Um, Gina, my, my partner and I, went over, uh, Gina Frangello, the writer, um, went over and we stayed with my French editors, and we got really cheap uh, tickets. So it was about as cheap as the trip to paris gets because we pretty much only had to pop the only expensive thing was food right. you know so it, it was great yeah. um and uh we were in a really cool neighborhood but um my, my agent lives or my editor lives by the Bastille metro oh, stop oh, yeah, yeah. um and we walked all over you know like you know we we walked to the old uh Fitzgerald Hemingway, uh, Stein, like, hangout that was, you know, across the river and I don't know where it was. It was far away.
0: You know, I've been to Paris twice, and the next time I go to Paris, I can't miss Baudelaire's grave, which is, I think, in the south, the southern part of Paris, and not in the Père Lachaise where, like, Jim Morrison is buried in Balzac. Wild maybe yeah yeah, wild. yeah but Baudelaire's in a completely different cemetery so I gotta I gotta go visit my buddy uh, the next time I'm there the, my dead buddy yeah well it's great but man since I've been in LA there's so much awesome grave like grave areas that like there's Hollywood forever and then I found this other one by UCLA that has like Marilyn Monroe Don Knotts Andy Griffith Everyone is there, and it's really small.
1: Marilyn Monroe and Mayberry. Yes. Minus Ron Howard. Thanks. (laughs) Ron's still alive. (laughs) By the time this airs, I'm I'm hoping that Ron is still with us. Yeah, yeah, I'm not a big grave-goer, but it's not for any, like, uh, you know, big stand. It's like we wanted to go to the one that Oscar Wilde was in, and then it was just like, and eh, we didn't get to it. You know, yeah. we, you know we had this great cafe, that be, like we became regulars in five days. They always brought what we wanted and yeah. we had our own seat, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and pretty much decided uh, if it weren't against every moral and ethic standard that, that a, sh- a human should stand for, we should have killed my editor and moved in because <laughs> the place was right next door. I mean, it was perfect for us.
0: I, that's the cool thing about like traveling that way is becoming the local not good. You know, I, that's good. You didn't go to that tourist trap pair Lachaise. and you just, you hung out and they're just like, ah, oh, I'm going to do my Italian. Ah, rah, bah, Jane, come by my And uh, you're in Paris. So you're like, why are you Italian here?
1: <laughs> um, or theoretically we could buy it from my editor and he can move. That's probably the, the nicer way to go about, oh, uh, yeah. you know, acquiring that property. Yeah. Um, but yeah I mean there's a great uh, section line in Gatsby I'm paraphrasing it where um, Nick Carraway's I think he's walking and and someone else comes up to him and asks directions and he actually knows them and he said that's when you know you're a local or at least feel like a local is when you can like give someone directions somewhere and uh, I was unable to do that you know uh, speaking at, at my ten words of French, um, and not even be a, not being able to understand enough to even point. Had I known, <laughs> if they asked Bastille, I would go. Yeah, it's it's right up there. I, you, haven't you seen it?
0: <laughs> it's right behind you.
1: <laughs>
0: I when it was in '96, back when you started teaching, and I was in Italy, and I I had a handle on Italian at the time, like conversational Italian, and I remember these old... and I was. I was outside of Florence, so I had to take the bus into the city if I Florence. wanted to Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. City. Isn't it? So these so these older couple comes up to me and they're like, Excuse me, do you know which bus? And I'm trying to think of uh, what I said in Italian that was I was uh No parliangles parli Italiano and I was, like kinda of yelled at them and, and walked by and and they were just like, Whoa shit the Italian and I was like, I'm kidding, what do you guys need? <laughs> and then it blew their minds that <laughs> that's
1: great yeah that's
0: one of that yeah all, all the no no the the statue of david or whatever yeah that well, whatever saw that i got to like fuck with an older couple that actually was like so stoked i actually spoke english in californian english <laughs> and like wait you just like insulted us didn't you I'm like no i just said this <laughs>
1: Yeah, I would, you know, there's there's the real Daniel, and then there's like Daniel all over Florence. Oh, I, know, yeah. I mean, basically, salt and pepper shaker Daniels. <laughs> I mean, it, it stops shy of that, yeah. um, but but they're everywhere, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, I, I actually stayed there for a week when I meant to stay two days, uh-huh. long time ago, 1985, oh, cool. um, and Craxi's government had fell, fallen, and at the time it was the 39th government, Uh, in in the years since World War two since 1945 or six so it was like 39 governments in 40 some odd years or something Um, and the trains weren't running because there was no government and I was supposed to go on to Venice which I I heard I really got lucky I got to spend a week in Florence and that Venice is uh, you know kind of overrated Rome was
0: I think I think that you were in a better situation that, that it better it's best to be stuck in Florence than stuck in Venice I think. That makes sense. Yeah.
1: But then when the the trains open I was going back up to Holland where I, I was living at the time. Um you walked in and all these governments were competing and there were literally people on soapboxes like the fascists and the the democrats and you know Various forms of, uh, you know, socialism and things like that. But, like, you know, it was really funny to see, like, a guy standing there, you know, shouting in Italian with the, the, you know, fascist label on his podium. (laughs) It's like, wow, people run as fascists here. You know, we just back-ass our way into them.
0: (laughs) You know what would be so much fun is if instead of Twitter, there were soapboxes. I think I'm down for that.
1: I'm all for it. Yeah. Um, my last press um, wanted me to have a presence on Twitter, you know, a, a quote-unquote platform. Right. Right. And I said, isn't it enough that I'm on Facebook, you know? And uh, I'm on MySpace. People can still check. Right,
0: right. <laughs> Look, I'm on Friendster. People can find me.
1: <laughs> LinkedIn, whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, they're like, no, no, that's not enough. And you barely post anyway. So, yeah. so I got a Twitter account, and I, I posted four times... Yeah. within a year you know so maybe it was my fault the book didn't sell as well as <laughs> as they had hoped um
0: you got to start a twitter controversy with somebody and yeah, then it sells
1: yeah. i got to go at some or let someone come at me just right, say right, something right. really stupid and yeah. say you know have my new press say well I, we're distancing ourselves from that piece of shit right,
0: right. they i and then there's uh, authors out there that, that i'm not going to mention names but where they've kind of just been the people who call people out and start fights on Twitter, and then all of a sudden they have a book deal. <laughs> I'm going, yeah. And I'm like, oh, you... No, 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 no. Don't bring that into the zeitgeist, please. <laughs>
1: yeah, really, like uh, we've gone in like 20 years from, you know, the tyranny of anon- anonymous commenters to people who get book deals for yeah. being assholes in the comments section. Yeah, yeah. It's just on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I'm, I'm guessing... If I have one, if I'm lucky enough to have one, my next press would prefer that I'm on Twitter. So I'll give it another go. Um, but but now it's probably been eclipsed by Snapchat or, you know, Flugel Earth or something. You know, some new, yeah, I'll just be, you know, not even trying to be the old man on his lawns. Get off my get off my lawn. I'm just the old man. I don't care if they're on my lawn. <laughs> just I don't know if I'm going to join in the game. <laughs>
0: Perfect. Rob, thank you so much for being on the show, man.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. This has been a, a, a joy. It's always great seeing you. Thanks.
0: Rob Roberts. everyone. Check out his memoir, Liar, out now on paperback. Also, his other books, The Cost of Living, More Than They Can Chew, Drive, and Ludlow. Coming up on Drinks with Tony in July, we have Janet Fitch, the author of White Oleander and Chimes of a Lost Cathedral. Chris L. Terry, author of Black Card, J. Ryan Stradle, author of The Lager Queen of Minnesota and lots of other fun. Hey, thanks for listening to Drinks with Tony and have a great week. I will see you next time.